Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Reclamation Theology. It's the first Friday of the month, and so that means on first Friday, we are so privileged to have Mr. Kyle Clement to talk to us about Reclamation Theology. For those of you who are listening to Kyle for the first time, Kyle is a member and founder of the religious association Societas Matris Dolorisime with Father Chad Ripperger. He founded the Liber Cristo organization, and more information about Liber Cristo can be found at librocristo.org. Is that right, Kyle? It certainly is, Angela. Thank you. It's good to be with you and your listeners this morning. And welcome. And we also have WQPH, Marianne Harold, which is an EWTN affiliate in the Massachusetts area. So welcome, Marianne. Thank you, Angela. Great to be with you. And yes. Kyle? Yes, indeed, in these blessed Good times. Good morning. So, Kyle, you asked me how it was going before we went on the air, and I just sighed. And you actually said it. we're living in great moments, great times. Oh, to quote the book of Esther, we were made for times such as these. We were born for times such as these. Now is the time to be Catholic. Wow. Well, it's a breath of fresh air. And also, Annie Oakley's walked into the studio. She's waving her hands at me. So you actually have a studio audience at this hour, Kyle. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, great. I'm assuming that one of the major benefits of this is that the traffic was considerably lighter. Yes, indeed. Although you'll be happy to know that in Illinois, the liquor stores are open and the supermarkets are open. The abortion clinics are open, but a lot of the churches, well, they're closed, Kyle. So there's still traffic. But they go, they're going to the wrong places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gives you an idea of how much traffic is headed the wrong way generally. <laughs> Very good. So what do we want to talk about this morning, Kyle? Oh, let's seize the day. Carpe diem. Today is an amazing day. Um, and it's God's grace. The first Friday of 2020 just happens to fall on one of the most important feast days in our year, and it's also one of the most neglected, one of those that's been kicked to the side. And what is this feast day? It is the feast of the seven dollars of our Blessed Mother. Wow. It is the feast day of the order, Societas Matris Dolorisissime, or the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. So it is, it is that feast day. What are the seven dollars, and why do we no longer celebrate them? The first answer is quite easy. I'll list the seven dollars. This was a devotion that was very central to traditional Catholicism for many centuries and should still be, but it has been reduced to a, a votive. It's been reduced to a um, hardly a mention, but it prepares us for Holy Week. And the seven dollars, the Feast of the Seven Dollars was historically celebrated on the Friday before Lazarus Saturday or Bethany Saturday, which precedes Palm Sunday. Now, this is what is called a movable feast because Easter is movable. So let's talk about for a moment, just cosmically, to call ourselves back deep into the foundations of our faith. How do you calculate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday? It will be the Sunday following the first full moon following the vernal equinox. Why? Because the Passover was celebrated in on that moon. And so one of the things to remember for Holy Week is that there will always be a full moon during Holy Week. It will be the same moon that shined on his precious face in the Garden of Gethsemane as he petitions his father, let this cup pass from me, but not 
your my will, but your will be done. This should be our prayer in this time of tumult, in this time of testing, in this great time. To quote again the book of Esther, we were made for times such as these. If you'll recall Esther's story, she was placed in a moment in time to save her people. She was placed at a pivotal moment, and if, if not for Esther's courage in speaking up on behalf of the nation of Israel, they would have been wiped out. So there's some parallels there with Esther and Mary. Mary was born, she was conceived immaculately for times such as these. And so the seven dollars chronicle her experience after she's given her fiat. One of the things we must remember always and everywhere is Mary did not know what was going to happen. In her humility, in her docility, in her perfection, she trusts implicitly in God's holy will. And so the first dolar, or the first sorrow of Blessed Mother, is what's called the Sword of Simeon. Now, imagine, if you will, this is on the presentation. This is at Candlemas. It's the second day of February. But it's at the presentation, 40 days after, after the Blessed Mother's given birth. She presents God to God at the presentation. What is her, quote, in modern secular speak, what is her reward for this act of obedience? To be told by a wise and learned man, this child will be the cause of the rise and fall of many. Jerusalem. This this is the um, this is her quote reward. If you're speaking from a secular standpoint, I think that we need to draw back and look at exactly what is happening in this moment. In this moment, again, God is being offered to God. God is being offered to himself in obedience with the law. Mary says, be it done unto me according to thy word. And then she hears that this child, this Messiah, this is the first hint that this child, this Messiah, will be the cause of great sorrow, will be the cause of great trepidation will be the cause of, of, a, of an earth-shaking change. And so suddenly salvation now has, has this different aspect to it, this edge to it. Salvation will always have an edge. Conversion will always have an edge because metanoia, yielding to God, will require a change in the status quo. The second dolar is the flight into Egypt. Imagine, if you will, the flight into Egypt. Joseph, in response to um, in response to the angel, takes the Blessed Mother and the Christ Child, flees into Egypt. This path into Egypt, this flight into Egypt, is tumultuous at best. I think that in many ways, Kyle, I think you're fading. Kyle, I'm sorry, it's Angela. You're fading in and out. Can you? St I think it was when you're talking about the flight into Egypt being tumultuous at best. Okay, is this better? It's a hundred percent better. Is there a chirping on your end? 
a little bit, yes. I thought okay. that was the angel singing. <laughs> Are we still live? We're still live, yes. So you can just continue where you left off. You were talking about the flight into Egypt being tumultuous at best. Okay. On this feast day of the seven dollars, the first, it's the Friday uh, immediately preceding Palm Sunday. Uh, the first dollar is Simeon's prophecy that indicates that there's an edge to uh, salvation. There's a, there's a, um, there's got to be a sacrifice. There's going to be the rise and fall of many uh, in reaction to this child, uh, this Jesus. And so the second dolar is the flight into Egypt. Now the Blessed Mother is spirited into Egypt or is taken into Egypt by Joseph to preserve both she and the Christ child. And I would propose to you that yes, God is omnipresent, he's omnipowerful, and he, he could protect this Christ child temporally. How does he choose, how does he will to protect this child is through the actions of a man, through obedience. That's the takeaway here, is obedience, obedience, obedience. We'll open this again later in the show, this concept of obedience, because obedience in this particular instance is Joseph doing what he is told to preserve God, to preserve the Blessed Mother, the Ark of the New Covenant. And so it's through obedience the, that the Ark is preserved. It was through disobedience that the Ark was lost. It is through obedience that relationship is regained, and specifically through docility, right relationship with God the Father. That's not to say that we have to be obedient to everything that everyone says. And so we'll talk about that later in the show. Is what it, when is obedience right? When, it is, when is it um, disordered? So in this, the second sorrow, is, uh, second dolar is the flight into Egypt. The third dolar is the loss of Christ in the temple. The loss of Christ in the temple is is a very poignant scene that is modernly misinterpreted. It's very interesting to me that in um, the tradition surrounding the dolars of Mary, the Passion, the Via Dolorosa, there are key points that modern theologians have changed our inter are trying to change our interpretation for 19 centuries. Catholic theology and teaching was very clear on these points, and this is one of those points, is that there was a, there, there was a modern aspect to this, this loss of Jesus in the temple. And what it, what it was traditionally talked about was is that here is Christ, his divinity and his humanity are always present. They're, they're, it's not that he became divine at some later point. They're always present in their totality. There is hypostatic union. And the only perfection of the hypostatic union comes through the natural uh, accumulation of knowledge and experience, how to pray, knowledge of human experience of God. God knows God. God does not know God as a human. And so that, that understanding that 
he grew in knowledge. But he grows in knowledge. The takeaway from the, the loss of the child in the temple is that the boy Jesus then is obedient to his mother and father, his earthly mother and father. He listens to God the Father, God the Creator, speak through his father, St. Joseph. And he is obedient to them. He went down into Nazareth and was obedient to them. And so this is the formation that is that is passed over um, modernly. This is this is one of the things that we lose. So that the fourth dolar is the fourth station of the cross. It's where Jesus meets his mother. Currently, the association Liber Cristo. You can find this at www.libercristo.org is going through as a community 14 days of prayer, which you may share. And it's the 14 stations of the cross along with the 14 holy helpers. And it's being prayed specifically to um, address, to call forth the moribund church out of its self-imposed tomb as Jesus called forth Lazarus. And it's also for the vanquishing of the coronavirus. It is, this, this discipline will then shift and Libra Cristo community will participate in some very significant practices and liturgy as a community that we can do online through Holy Week. So I, I encourage you to go to the website, www.libracristo.org, and join us for these Holy Week um, reflections and exercises. In the fourth station, Jesus meets his mother. This year, that fourth station happened to fall on the Annunciation. And so in a cosmic moment of signal grace, Jesus meets his mother for the first time in the Annunciation, and he meets her for the last time on the Via Della Rosa on the same day. Very interesting this year. The fifth dolar is the crucifixion and death of our Lord. And so she sees the prophecy of Simeon come true. She watches God give God to God for us. But she is no less involved. She gives her son, he gives his son. We have to stand on the traditional understanding of Mary as co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix, mediatrix of all graces. Her real role here is she gives more than any other human gives. And so that role should be reflected on in that fifth dolar, the crucifixion. In the sixth dolar, it is the piercing of the side of Jesus. And so it is the opening of his side with the lance. If you look at the lance, the, the, the spear of Longinus, the, the, the Roman soldier's lance, this blade was some 12 inches long and four inches wide and a half inch thick at its thickest and widest point. This is a tremendous instrument of war and of opening of the corpus of our Lord. So modernly crucifixes, if they have the pierced side of our Lord, do not depict the gaping horrific wound 
as this this spear pierced between his ribs, separating his ribs and penetrates all the way to his sacred heart, pierced for us. And when the, the spear is withdrawn, blood and water gushing forth. This is the birth of the church, the blood, the sacred blood of the sacrifice mixed with the waters of baptism. We're going to speak some about the waters of baptism. But this symbolism, this understanding comes gushing forth, just like in childbirth, the water and blood that gush forth. This is the birth of the church. And so the Blessed Mother, this is her sixth dolar. And when every drop of sacrificial blood is drained from his precious body, and every bit of water, the waters of mercy gush forth, he's taken down from the cross. And the seventh dolar is the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, reflect on the seven dolars, the seven sorrows of the Blessed Mother. You might look at the devotion that has been historically known as the rosary or the servite rosary of the seven dolars. For all of those who pray the prayers of the Auxilium Christinorum, for all of those who pray that the Sorrowful Mother reveal to them uh, the areas where they need to improve, the areas where they need to build up the bulwark of their faith, for all of us who invoke the Sorrowful Mother, especially for those of us members of the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother, happy feast day. How do I say happy? Because the joy is in the sorrow. The sorrow is the realization of God the Father's deep abiding love for us that he would give his only son. And the Blessed Mother's deep abiding love for us that she would gaze over the broken body of her son in the pieta and look upon us with love. This is our mother of sorrows. This is the most sorrowful mother. Most Sorrowful Mother, pray for us. So that's what today is. Thanks be to God that we are alive and that we see this feast on in the year 2020. Uh, I think that I've always joked here uh, since the first of the year, we should have clear vision. This is the 2020 year. We should be able to see clearly. And God is giving us so many opportunities to be active in our faith, to, to truly be vibrant in our daily practices. I'm looking and talking with certain priests who are saying, this is an unbelievable opportunity for a diocesan priest to grow in his faith, to practice a life as a religious, because he can now pray the office on the hours. In his private mass, he can linger at the epiclesis he can linger he can take four hours to do a mass he can hold the host in elevation until his arms no longer work until he trembles with the exertion this is an unbelievable time for a diocesan or secular priest to perfect his priesthood as if he were a religious without the the grind, if you will, the current constant tugging uh, of parish life. So retreat to your church 
as Jesus retreated to the mountain and spend this time with your father. Go deep into your priesthood. When you celebrate Mass, open the Mass and linger there at the Epiclesis. See Gabriel coming to Mary. See her blood, her flesh quickened into Jesus' blood and Jesus' flesh because her flesh became his flesh. Her immaculate heart gives rise to his sacred heart. This is the time for deep reflection. This is the time to say, what do we have? What is precious? What is what is that which has eternal consequence and eternal value? Not what have I lost temporally. It's not about us. It's about him. There are so many things that are going to happen in this, this 2020 Holy Week. Please go to www.lebercristo.org, access that, be asked to, we'll send this stuff out by email. There's a YouTube channel. There's just a tremendous amount of resources. I'm aware of a very concentrated effort. I wanted to let people know about this. Um, most of your parishes are making available to you uh, palms. If not, you have last year's palms. If not, cut them out of construction paper. But the lay faithful, the the, the procession of the palms is a function of the lay faithful. If you do nothing other than dress for Mass tomorrow, go into your front yard and do the procession into Mass, into your house to watch Mass. But be in your suits, your ties, your veils, your dresses. Dress your children. Give public witness if it's only in your front yard. Do the processional part preceding the Mass. Do it. Your neighbors already know you're those crazy Catholics. Earn it. This is this is an amazing opportunity for you to witness your faith to your children quietly. I know of a ranch family. Their nearest neighbor is 12 miles away. The ranch house is isolated. They will process around their house and process in to watch the Mass. They've dressed for every Mass they couldn't attend. They've watched on television. I would highly recommend going to the FSSP website, Live Mass app, or Live Mass. I would also particularly recommend the St. Vitus Parish, St. Vitus Traditional Mass in uh, out of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, has an impeccable broadcast. You can find these Masses, but dress for Mass in your house. Create a, a space where you're where you are devout, where, where you're attending Mass. Don't do other things. Don't get up and, and cook. Don't do things. That, let's preserve the integrity of the Mass. Let's do the procession uh, before, in our front yard, if nowhere else. Um, and so, Angela, these are some things that, that we can do, and they're not a workaround. They're not as good as they are absolutely what we're called to do in this time when we're being denied sacraments. Wow, that's beautiful, Kyle. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Miriam, do you have any comments or Ian on what the first part of the show I'm remembering in our youth when we used to process outside St. Francis Church and going into Spain and processing out there with the palms and how much joy and how our faith really sparks from that beautiful tradition. Thank you, Kyle, so much for sharing that because we're kind of a little down today here in our area. And we're getting up, thanks to you. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We mentioned, go ahead, please, if you have questions or observations. You know, I was going to go to the Seven Sorrows of Mary. My mother used to have, Miriam, do you remember, she used to have a great devotion to the Sorrowful Mother. And I think here in Illinois, there's some beautiful chapels. Uh, first of all, at Marytown, they have uh, the Sorrowful Mother Chapel. And I think uh, but yes. it was during the war, Kyle. It was during the war that people turned to her. And you have her as your patron for your religious order. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. That is that is correct. I'll tell you a, a, star, a story about Our Lady of, of Sorrows. And, and a, a, we lose modern miracles. But my wife, many of you know my wife, Valerie, um, her ancestors came from a, a place in, in uh, Bohemia, modernly Germany. And you can trace back to um, that church was built in 920. Her sacramental record goes to 1060. They're still using the same font that the Romans put in in 920. And so it's an amazing place. And the Sorrowful Mother is figures very, very prominently in that church and in that place. Well, that devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows and the Sorrowful Mother came across in the 1880s with her family who were escaping Catholic persecution in, in Germany or in uh, Bohemia at that time. Um, I think we do well to remember our history. But when they settled, they settled in a town in, in uh, central Texas called Winthorst, and they were a community of farmers and, and uh, dairy, dairymen. The first thing they did was built an amazing church called St. Mary's on the highest hill. And it was the Angelus rang, and you could hear it all over the, that country. And so this magnificent church, and then the, the people lived in hovels um, while they built the church, and then they built their house at second. But they also built a grotto. And in World War II, if you go through Texas, if you go through um, county seats in Texas, there is a memorial to the war dead on every courthouse lawn and it lists a tremendous number of names. Well, that particular county, that particular church, they have no war dead in World War II. And the reason being, they had kids, boys that went all over. They had boys that went to uh, the Pacific, the, to uh, Africa, they, to Europe. They, they went everywhere, but they all came back. The reason being is when the first boy left, they started a rosary a devotion to the seven sorrows, and that rosary went up 24-7 for almost four and a half years until the last boy came home. That's modern miracles. That's the power of our Blessed Mother. That's right use of prayer. And those mothers were not wringing their hands. They were not beside themselves. They simply prayed, and the men built the grotto. And it still is there. We lose our faith when we don't practice it. We lose our faith when we criticize those who are in positions of leadership and don't have the same faith. Pray for them. Resist their when they abuse the obedient. We have to resist out of out of uh, right order. Don't let them call you into moral or doctrinal error, but don't let them call you into to anger that gives rise to um, a loss of the merit of your prayer. Your prayer is meritorious because you trust. Your prayer is meritorious because you're moving in a in a expression of Christian charity. 
But Christian charity, just like God's charity, has a chastisement element to it. We must tell our shepherds lovingly, but tell them you're in error. This group that you have formed, this USCCB, this, this is affirming wrong action. The, these things lead us away, and we cannot follow you into this howling wasteland of relativism and modernism that's now devoid of public sacrament. We can't follow you there. So when you return from your pig pen, when you return from your prodigal experience, we will be here waiting for you. We will be with the Father waiting for you. You have to, I'm sorry, Ian. I just have to turn your mic on. I'm sorry. What number are you? Uh, number three. Wait, four. Uh, can I ask you to speak about what uh, society of the seven dollars are? What does that um, encompass? How does one become a member? You mentioned that briefly. Okay, the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother, this particular society, the superior is mm -hmm. Father Chad Ripperger. And it is a society of um, semi-contemplative exorcist priests. Through Libra okay. Cristo provides uh, deliverance um, and liberation formation, consultation to exorcists, to, uh, to priests, to bishops. And so you can fully familiarize yourself uh, with the religious order and the uh, secular order also, the Auxilium Christian Norum prayers, uh, you can go to auxiliumchristianorum.org and see those daily prayers and how to become an auxiliary. Um, and so these three are closely united. Uh, and so the patroness of all of these is our sorrowful mother. And so it has a religious order, it has a public association, and then it has this um, apostolate. And so these these areas all work toward um, liberation. And it's a return. Um, one of the aspects within Libra Cristo is freedom through Christ, which is the Catholic approach to liberation. It returns liberation ministry to Catholic norms and works outside of all the Protestant influences that have come in through the charismatic renewal and other practices. There are many uh, methodologies out there that claim to be Catholic, but at the heart of it, they don't, they don't place the Blessed Mother or the sacraments at the centrality of liberation and right union with God. The definition of healing is reconciliation with God the Father, not the cessation of suffering. And so we're reconciled to God in the suffering. We're reconciled to God in our carrying of our cross, our joining of our experience to Christ. And this is the Catholic norm, and this has always been the Catholic norm, but we see a shift away from traditional Catholic norms, not only in Catholicism, but in society in general who is not willing to suffer or engage the arduous. Kyle? Thank you, because I think people need to hear that uh, and have it explained as you just did. Thank you, Kyle. Certainly. Can you hear me? Yeah, Kyle Ian has a question. Yes, um, yes Kyle. I was trying to follow along with the seven sorrows, or the, yes, in the Bible. And uh, one of the things, I don't know if other people have done this, um, but when you go to the readings uh, or the different Gospels, uh, there's not a clear understanding of the sequence of each of the things uh, that happened. And what I'm getting at is uh, after Jesus' birth, 
there was the flight into Egypt, and then there's also the presentation in the temple. But I didn't find where in one gospel they talked about all of that. So I've never understood what happened first, next, or whatever. And it's always been a question in my mind, and I don't know if anybody else has questioned it. Does that make sense? Yes, the, it, it does make sense. And, and so one of the things that in old and traditional uh, practice of, of Holy Week, and you're going to get this through Liber Cristo, is we're going to overlay several things. One of the overlays is that the seven days of creation, you can overlay the seven dolars, the seven days of Jesus' passion, you overlay with both the dolars and with the um, creation. So you get an idea of this in John's Gospel, when in the prologue to John's Gospel, essentially he's going back and using a creation sequence to give you the creation, the recreation. And so there is a, this is a richness that was in traditional Catholicism in the expressions and in the liturgy of Holy Week prior to 1955. This was purposely removed. Um, and we'll talk some about the history of that. But to, to strictly answer your question, Anne, is that we celebrate Holy Innocence on the 28th day of December. But it, it would have happened a year or two after. And so you've got a sequence that, um, after the birth, so you've got a sequence that Simeon's prophecy and the flight into Egypt occur fairly close. Simeon's prophecy occurs um, at the presentation. Then the flight into Egypt follows the presentation. Oh, okay. And then and then there's the loss of the child. And so um, I think that to put this into common sense order, you would think also that the presentation is the first requisite movement. And that's what always and everywhere obedience opens us to grace. And so the actual grace to fulfill the requirement to go to Egypt uh, comes as a result of the obedience in the presentation. So always he's calling us to greater heights. Always there's a, this progression toward a greater and ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice. Um, and so when you see the progression, then it kind of falls into place. One of the things that, that we have in our head is that the murder of the holy innocents, though we celebrated on the 28th, that's happening to two and three-year-old children. Historically, that's when Herod had the edict, and so uh, it's happening to two and three-year-old children. That, even <laughs> interestingly enough, one of the children who died in that um, in that horrible, horrific uh, murder of the innocents, the 28 innocents, one of those children was his own grandson. Wow. wow. Isn't that something? Is how blind we get, Kyle. Hell, I want to get back. We only have 20 minutes left in the show. You alluded a little bit to the blood and water that gushed forth from the heart of Jesus by uh, the, the lands. And you alluded to that as representative of baptism. And we also know representative of the divine mercy image. Tell me about, you know, one of the frustrations. We talked to Dr. Janet Smith, who is circulating a letter to the bishops requesting they take a closer look at what's going on by preventing us from the sacraments. Talk a little bit about uh, what baptism is, its importance, and um, let's take it from there. I just want to shift a little bit to what's going on in, modernly in our time. 
Okay, I think it's a great question. Um, I also think that his letter is indicative of what I'm saying is the resistance. It's not rebellion, but it's resistance on being led into error or letting error persist. And so I'm not advocating rebellion at all. What I'm advocating is resistance in which we inform them of our resistance. We can't follow you into this. And so what you're doing is actually harming us, and here's how it's harming us. And so I think that's a very different language than the language of, of anger um, and the language of rebellion. Black, uh, you know, masses that are out illicit, um, masses that are um, the demanding of the Eucharist. I mean, this is that this is disordered. Um, and so you've got to make sure that your response is an ordered response that has at its heart true Christian charity, which is correction, and which is making clear that um, we we can't go there. We can't in any way affirm, um, in any way support what you're doing uh, financially, by prayer, by our presence, by our uh, affirmation. You do not have the trust and affirmation uh, of the people, and so that's something that you will you to our saying to our bishops. This is something you have to regain, and we understand that you are in a compromised position through the scandals, through what's happening to you in the secular courts. We understand all these things, and we're praying for you. But do not compound one bad decision with a sequence of bad decisions. So I think this is the sober conversation that we must have. Now, practically, to Joe Catholic, what do you do? You look to groups that are preserving the faith and preserving it rightly. Um, you, you look to what are the devotions that I can do as a, as a sense of community? The Liber Cristo community is such a group. You can find them at www.librecristo.org. But let's talk specifically about the preservation of the integrity of the sacraments. Listen to the language. Preservation of the integrity of the sacraments during this time when we have um, no Eucharist, we have no, um, we, we, we can't receive that sacrament, we can't receive other sacraments. So how do you preserve what you've already got? That's the big thing. So with regard to baptism, we need to visualize ourselves as a third world missionized country where the government has suppressed any sacraments. How do we preserve it? There's multiple historical precedents of how this was uh, preserved in Japan, how it was preserved in China until recently betrayed by this current administration. And there's some... So you look at how was this preserved? What would happen if we were all converted? Let's say we were converted to India. When St. Thomas converts India, and then there's no Eucharist for centuries. Um, so what happens? The faith is preserved. How is it preserved? It's preserved in the houses. Now, the first sacrament, the preeminent sacrament, is confession because everyone should be confessed before they receive any of the other sacraments. The first sacrament of initiation is baptism, but we should approach this sacrament in a state of grace. 
the sacrament of baptism it is free it is allowed it is permissible in times such as these for a lay person to baptize but and there's a big but here this sacrament to preserve the integrity of it canonically spiritually how does one baptize first and foremost who has the authority to baptize the child not who has the power who has the authority power is the ability to affect change the way that baptism is written any lay person can call down the sacrament through the the formula of baptism that's you're hearing me correctly test test this ask someone who knows this so the sacrament can be conferred in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the form of water, the, the immersion or, or the pouring thereof. But if, as long as the formula is followed, that's the power to affect the sacrament. Now, who has the authority? When a couple presents their child to the priest, the priest says, what do you ask of the church? And the couple says, baptism. In that moment, they're subjecting themselves to the authority of the church to baptize this child. So the father of the child, absent a priest, the father of the child has the authority and should be the one conferring the sacrament. That's, that's who should be doing it. The sacrament should be conferred in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It should follow the form and matter of the sacrament. Read about it. Do it with some uh, solemnity. Do it properly, always with the eye that as soon as you have access to the sacramentary record and a priest, you would tell the priest, this is what I did. I would strongly recommend that if you have an infant that is in need of baptizing, fathers, baptize them. Baptize them, preferably with the godparents there. Film it on, a, on your phone. Have the auditory so that the priest, when this is all over and you have access to a priest again, you can say, here's what I did. You play the film. If there's anything the priest needs to address to bring it into Catholic norms, he can pray the supplying rites. But your obligation for the salvation of souls is not to be frustrated that you can't take this child to the church. It's to step up, be a man, and baptize your child. Now, more about integrity. How do you preserve the integrity of the sacrament of confession? Stop sinning. You do whatever it takes to stop mortal sin. Listen to my language. Listen to what I'm saying. To preserve this sacrament, now more than ever, we must remain in a state of grace. And so the idea of perfect contrition is not plan B. It should be plan A that we are always having perfect contrition, and we're just ratifying that by going to the sacrament. Cardinal Burke has an excellent article on perfect contrition. Go to these men who speak the truth in a traditional way, who speak the truth. Don't look at the... If there's fear, you've got a problem with perfect contrition. But it is time for the men to step up and lead the prayers in their homes. You do this out of a position of purity. So you maintain the sacrament through purity. You maintain the sacrament by not sinning. Next sacrament, the Eucharist. 
How do you maintain the integrity of this sacrament? When was the last time you received it? When was the first time you received it? When were all the memorable times that you received it? For married men, you received it at the marriage altar, you at the marriage at the at the, at the rail of your of your marriage at the nuptial mass. When was the last time you received it worthily? Recall that, live that, amnesia, bring that mem- memory, that moment. Recall the taste of our Lord in your mouth the last time. There are people who have lived their entire lives as converted Catholics, unable to receive because of their geography, because of where they were. There have been generations where the faith in such as India, China, Japan, there have been generations who have preserved this faith in homes and hearts. But you don't do it by not praying. You don't do it by being lackadaisical. Now is the time to recapture our faith. Now is the time, men, for you to step up and be the priest. Be the priest of your domestic church. You can't confect the sacrament, but what you can do is preserve the integrity of the sacred heart within your home through devotion, through prayer. These are times of war. This is a time of fierce war. And women, if the men don't do it, that doesn't mean you get to step up. It means you keep praying. You get him to listen, if you can, just to a moment of shows like this, shows uh, the Libra Cristo YouTube channel. Get him to listen to Father Ripperger just for a moment, just for a moment, to seize this moment in history, to pray as a father, to pray as a husband, to pray as a man, to pray as a Catholic. This is a great time to be alive. There is no greater time. God has deigned that we are alive. Sacraments are so very, very important. We preserve their integrity. We preserve their integrity in the house, in the home, and as we teach our children. Do you have a loved one who has passed that you cannot attend their funeral? Do you know someone who has succumbed to this virus? Then get a copy either off the Internet or in your, um, in your books. Get a copy and pray the old traditional office of the dead. Lead them in novena. It's not what we can't do, it's what we can do. And what we can do is so much more powerful than what we used to do, meaning of late. Our practice of late was we would go to the funeral and we would cry a few tears and tell the widow or the widower how much how nice their, their spouse was, and then we wouldn't go home and pray. You have time to pray. You have time to hit your knees and to go through the office of for the dead. You have time to read. Today, the readings will take you an hour to read about the Blessed Mother. The, the Via Della Rosa sequence, the sequence of our Sorrowful Mother is in the traditional readings. Let's go back and recapture our faith. Let's, we are not bound by the Novus Ordo or what Mass your priest is offering. You are bound only by your willingness to engage the arduous and your willingness to make present the readings of the Mass in your home. Men, step up. So, Kyle, Very what, beautiful, Kyle. It is. Marianne, did you have something you wanted to say? No, I just say I feel so inspired. I thank God that you have this program today, Angela, because so many people don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with the silence that they now have in their life. Uh, what we should be doing every day. They watch the, the Mass on TV, but that's not the end of the day. 
I was just going to say, Cal, what else can we do as, as a daily routine? What would you suggest that the laity who's listening, who want to know what to do, are feeling hopeless and just lost? It's a what very good question. It's a very good question, and, and I'm going to uh, direct you again. Go to www.leroCristo.org. Sign up for the Holy Week um, email, and it will be a monastic observance. We're all at home. We're sequestered. Many of us are sequestered in our homes. What a beautiful time to make your home into a monastery, to to pray the prayers of the liturgy of the hours, on the hours, to read the readings, Go in and linger at the mass readings to embrace the silence, to absolutely embrace the silence. When was the last time you spent 30 minutes on your knees in front of the picture of the Sacred Heart, giving thanks to the Sacred Heart for his willingness to be pierced? When was the last time you did the devotion to the Sacred Heart, Margaret Mary Alacoque, in your home? When was the last time you processed to the image of the Blessed Mother and prayed the our Lady of Perpetual Help devotion in your home? When was the last time you stood in front of the, pre the crucifix in your home and prayed the indulgence uh, prayer before a crucifix? When was the last time you stood in your living room and prayed the Tadeum? This is an amazing time that we can be significant warriors. When you put me in, when you sequester me in my home, it becomes a home. So for so many of us, our homes are no longer homes. They're refueling stations. They're places where we eat, where we sleep, where we pay our bills. They're a docking point for our secular experience. Retreat into your home. Make it a home. Pervade it with the aroma of prayer. Burn some candles, some blessed candles. Pray deeply. Spend that time in front of those images. That's beautiful, Kyle. That's just what we need to do, Angela, is to take what you just said and put it on the air at the top of every hour or whenever so people can hear these inspirational things to do. They need leadership, and, and we just got it. We've got the message. So, Thank you, Kyle. Kyle, we, we still have a few minutes left, but I was going to suggest just to give you a heads up. Um, maybe at the end of the hour, we usually offer a prayer. I know that there's a plenary indulgence with the usual conditions of that beautiful prayer before the crucifix in Fridays in Lent, and today's the first Friday. So maybe in a few minutes when we end, um, that would be a possibility for you to lead us in that beautiful prayer. Would you be willing to do that? Certainly. Okay, and then Annie Oakley raised her hand. She has a question here. Um <clears throat> Yes, Kyle, um, when, we, when you were talking about baptism and the authority and so on, the question has come up time again about especially grandparents and their concern over children who aren't being baptized. Um, what is the uh, um, teaching on that? Anything, even though they don't have authority? Okay, the understanding is very simple. First and foremost, that if the grandmother baptizes in the sink, follows the form in the matter, she has called down the sacrament, illicitly but validly. That's a whole different thing to unpack. However, here's the problem. If she's going to open herself up to diabolical uh, retaliation, and she's going to open the child up to retaliation because it's an act of rebellion when she acts against the authority of the, of the parents. She has to 
the authority of the parents. It's the parents who request baptism. So this idea that, that we can go out and, uh, against the wishes of the parents, uh, baptize a child, she brings division upon that home. She brings division upon that, that relationship between parent and child. That child is the child of those parents. And so for all of her good intentions, this is very, very, very ill-advised, extremely ill-advised. She's not going to be answerable for the fact that that child was not baptized, but she will be answerable at particular judgment for her act of rebellion, for her act of going against the authority of the parents who have the obligation for the care of that soul. So there's no middle ground here, and she will not be justified in her actions. How about a case where um, I think someone, we were debating this uh, internally, and someone said that the, her nephews, that she baptizes everybody, that her nephew, um, I think he was an adult, Kyle, which might change it, that she baptized her nephew or whoever it is that wants to be baptized? Well, in, in, that, in that case, what you got is an issue. If you're, if you're baptizing adults, if anyone past the age of reason... Um, then there is a there's a different formula there uh, outside the sacrament, but she's not going to have any. She's still got to have authority, and so she's even further moved from authority over an adult nephew. Um, this is the red flags are woman baptizing. That's a real red flag. What is it in her that compels her to act as a priest or to act as a man? Because that's a masculine duty to confer that that sacrament. Very simply, it's not a woman's place to do that. Now, that sounds harsh in today's language, but we've got to reclaim the right roles of masculinity and femininity. Her right role is to prepare him for baptism, to in increase within his heart the desire to meet God the Father through baptism, and then to avail the to put together the person who's supposed to baptize him with he to be baptized. That's the woman's role. It's a huge role. It's extremely important. But she needs to be more concerned about the conversion of the uncle than the baptism of the nephew. Right. So is so if even if if on the spur of the moment or whatever it is, he says, "Yeah, I'd like to be baptized," and she baptizes him. The questions that you're asking is number one. We as a, if, if he's an adult, we as his father, and number two, why wouldn't she lead him to the priest? Ex teach him, but Precisely. why wouldn't she have a priest do that instead of just jumping, instead of just doing it herself? Precisely. Precisely. Because there's not, you're not going to give me the scenario which justifies her doing what she did. It's very interesting, Kyle. Well, it's 8.59. <laughs> Kyle, that chirping was... Uh, Annoying, but still, I got some text messages uh, from people, from listeners saying, we love Kyle, but uh, the chirping's annoying, and I want to just apologize to them. We're connecting via Skype, and uh, it sounds like we just have, we've tried a couple different options before the show, ladies and gentlemen, but um, offer it up. Is that what you'd say, Kyle? Offer it up? That's exactly right. It's worth listening. It's worth, worth straining our ears to listen to. So how about, Kyle, if you lead us in that prayer before the crucifix? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Behold, O kind and most sweet Jesus, 
I cast myself upon my knees in thy sight, and with the most fervent desire of my soul, I pray and beseech thee that thou wouldst impress upon my heart lively sentiments of faith, hope, and charity, with true repentance for my sins, a firm desire of amendment, whilst with deep affection and grief, template thy five most precious wounds, having before my eyes that which David spoke in prophecy of thee, O good Jesus. They have pierced my hands and my feet, and they have numbered all my bones. In the name of the Father, and of we the pray Son. this prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen, Kyle. That was beautiful. So um, before we close, maybe just a little more information about the Libra Cristo site and why people should go there. Thank you, Angela. www.librecristo.org. There is a, a wealth of information there, free videos and other things to watch. And it helps us reclaim our Catholic faith and return the Ministry of Liberation to Catholic norms. There's a lot of resources there. One of the things that I really want to make known is the um, devotions uh, that are going to be uh, emailed daily during Holy Week which will call us in our homes into a, a monastic observance of Holy Week, a more traditional observance of Holy Week. And it gives us the opportunity as Catholics to truly live our faith, to live this Holy Week like we've lived no other. Uh, we have such an amazing opportunity to practice our faith um, in this time of sequester, in this time of, of isolation. And I urge you to, um, you, you don't have to do all of the devotions. You don't have to do all of it. Just take it, read it, uh, take what you will and pass it on. But to make your loved ones aware of it. Also, I would very highly recommend that you do something in observance of Palm Sunday this Sunday uh, in your homes. Procession indoors, procession outdoors, but get your children involved. Even if it's just you and your retired wife, do this. Make a procession. Dress for mass. Um, highly recommend the FSSP um, Mass. Now, the Fraternity of St. Peter is what I'm saying. Um, they are in union with Rome. They're recognized as uh, a legitimate. Um, they lead parishes, Roman parishes, throughout diocese. But St. Vitus Church in uh, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles has an impeccable Mass daily and Sunday Mass in the traditional form. Um, Let's preserve our faith. Viva Cristo Rey. Viva Cristo Rey. That's all the time. We had a couple break-ins there, Kyle, but we're all done. And God bless you. And Mary Ann, God bless you. God bless Annie and all our listeners. Until we meet again next First Friday. It may be a different world then, Kyle. May 1st. St. Joseph. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Praise God. You have been listening to WSFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at WSFICatholicRadio.org.